Hello, friends. Peace be with you. God bless you. And welcome back to another episode of Being and Making Disciples. It is great to be with you here. You may have noticed that we have switched from a weekly release to a release once every two weeks. And that's going to be our our format for a little while now, just to make sure that what we're releasing is really high quality and that we're not just putting stuff out there to put it out. So this episode, really, really excited to share with you because it is connected to evangelization at the the very heart of this all, which is helping establish trust with people. So if you've listened to our earlier episodes, you've probably heard us mention the thresholds of discipleship that kind of map out how people walk the journey of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And the first one of those thresholds is trust. That is, until people trust and have a positive experience or interaction with Jesus, with the church, with members of the church, it's difficult for them to express any interest or desire in Christianity. And so our goal is to make sure that we establish trust with people on behalf of Jesus Christ and his church so that there's an opportunity for curiosity to grow into openness. So based on the Beatitudes, we're proposing seven. Yes, I know there's eight Beatitudes, but we're kind of boiling it down a little bit, proposing seven ways that you can build trust with people. And they are First, poverty and simplicity. Second, mercy and forgiveness. Third, justice. Fourth, temperance. Fifth, courage. Next, chaste love. And finally, being compassionate and praying with people. So why these? Well, again, they they come from the Beatitudes. So anything that Jesus encourages encourages us to do is worth doing. And I think these help set us apart. And not that we just want to do things to be set apart, but when people notice that we live differently, they'll immediately judge and they'll say that's good or that's bad. And they're going to judge based on the fruit of our life. And that's going to be seen both in our how we carry ourselves. Pope Francis has spoken a lot about the importance of being a joyful Christian. And then also in terms of the, the fruit they see in our interactions with other people. Are we the type of person that people want to emulate and that people want to be friends with? So how do these things help us to do that, to bear fruit in our own life and live in the spirit and show that joy that it uh, that we should have if we're followers of Jesus and then how does this enrich our relationships with other people such that people want to be friends with us because they encounter God in us and there's just we're cool people to be around so the first one poverty and simplicity this one is, uh, there's probably lots of reasons why this is attractive. Um, you know, we can think of the attractive example of vowed religious who take a vow of poverty, and there's just something unique in the way they, they radically trust God for everything. So just relying on God to provide for our needs, that in itself is, is scripturally based and is going to attract attention and make people think, wow, that person really takes their faith seriously. So that's one thing. It just it allows us to live with integrity. Um, next, I think one of the big keys here is not preferring anything to God and not preferring anything to love of neighbor. And this requires some discernment here. So there's some very strong passages in scripture about, uh, money, things like it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven and uh, go and sell everything you own, then follow, come and follow me, then you will be my disciple. And 
I th- sometimes there's a tendency to explain away those difficult passages and, and make life easier for us. And I just don't think that's ever a good approach to take with scripture to say, well, I'm just going to do the approach that makes me the, the most comfortable or that provides me the easiest life. I'm not saying that scripture will always make your life harder or more uncomfortable, but I'm saying that shouldn't be our interpretive lens. If it is, then we should just be cautious with ourselves and be honest about uh, how and why we're interpreting something. So really, when we, when we try to embrace poverty and simplicity, it is an attempt to say, I'm going to rid myself, or I'm going to uh, release myself from slavery to or the love of any earthly good so that I'm free to love God and I'm free to love my neighbor. So a really simple litmus test that we could ask ourselves and then listen for God's answer in prayer is, Lord, do I love this thing? Do I love this person? Do I love this experience more than you or more than my neighbor? And does it keep me from loving you and keep me from loving my neighbor? Now, don't be rash with this, please. Don't sell your house or your car uh, or quit your job or something like that, especially if you have people who rely on you because that's part of your vocation. Um, But uh, a simple rule that we can use is one that Pope Francis recommended several years ago, and it was to prefer the more simple or more humble purchase. So just think of all of the things that you're going to buy. You're probably going to buy, you know, a TV, you're going to buy a car, you're going to buy clothes, you're going to buy shoes, you're going to buy a purse, you're going to buy a watch, you're going to buy all these things. Is there a way that you can make a more humble purchase? And uh, I remember several years ago having a really good conversation with my friend about something like this. And her approach was, was, well, God gave you all of these things. Shouldn't you enjoy them? Don't you think that God wants you to to enjoy them? And my response was, of course, but there's a whole range of things that can satisfy my needs that would still allow me to enjoy them and allow me to choose simplicity. So for instance, cell phones, there's a, a wide range of cell phones, all of which do probably way more than we need them to. And some of them are $1,000 and some of them are $50 so, or, you know, $300. And so there's a, there's a very big range there. And $700 is a lot of money to some people. That's, uh, you know, the ability to, um, well, I don't, I don't need to go into all the details of what that could do for people because that, that probably uh, can lead to a childish sort of uh, imagination of, oh, well, wouldn't the world be better if? Uh, but just very practically, uh, what can we purchase that is more simple so that we can make sure we are choosing love of God and love of neighbor to ourselves. And I don't want to, again, this is not to, to condemn anybody who, who has nice things, because I'm certain that people who have nice things have also made very serious or very major sacrifices in other areas. And it's no, it's not as simple as saying, well, because you have things or because you have money, you haven't embraced poverty, whereas those other people who don't have things and who don't have money, well, they have embraced poverty. doesn't mean they've embraced it just because they're living in it. It could be they're, they're living in protest and they wish they could have those things. And that is just as unhealthy because it's a spiritual attachment to those things, even though they don't have them and they don't possess them. So the next one is mercy and forgiveness. And I... This is my experience, at least. Um, mercy and forgiveness are very hard in our culture. Um, we tend to be okay with kind of simple uh, forgiveness. Um, you know, okay, you were late. Okay, yeah, I forgive you. Or I forgot something. Yeah, I, I forgive you. But when there's real offenses, just think of the number of friendships you have you have seen thrown away, the number of relationships you have seen thrown away. And... Uh, I have seen this amongst Catholic people 
just as frequently as amongst non-Catholics. And it is, it's embarrassing for us, especially for the outside world to look in. And our faith is built upon the idea of forgiveness. Like love and forgiveness as much as, as anything are the hallmarks of who Christians are. So if we forgive people, then we will stand out. They'll say, what makes that person able to forgive when so much of us have a hard time holding or letting go of our grudges? And uh, if there's, if being a good witness and establishing trust with people isn't enough, then I would say, uh, here's a, a really good one in, there's a couple of places in the scripture where it's just very clear, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. And uh, those those are kind of scary passages, and I like to remind people of that when they try to justify their lack of forgiveness towards others. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. There's plenty of people I, I need to continually practice forgiving, uh, so I need to be reminded of that as well. But just that when we withhold forgiveness, just like the, the, the parable of the unforgiving servant or the unforgiving steward, when we withhold forgiveness, then God will withhold forgiveness from us. But when we forgive even little things, then we're being like God, and that's what God wants us to do, and he will in turn give us forgiveness. So why does that build trust with people? Well, the people that you forgive and you reconcile with, they are going to feel that love in a, in a very real way, and you will develop more trust with them. But especially when people see that, and it's probably not so much that anybody would ever see, because you don't need to let them know, like, oh, look at me, I'm such a good friend, I forgave all these people for their, their offenses to me. Rather, you will, they'll notice it by the lack of drama and tension, and they'll just see, wow, this person has a lot of friends and a lot of real relationships and they're founded on love and goodness and that means something to me and I want that. So next is justice. And with justice, I think this one really speaks to integrity. So when we act with justice, meaning when we do things like uh, uphold the law, when we give to others what they are, what is due to them. So whether this is even things like following the laws of our own country and uh, rendering unto other people what they deserve. So whether this is uh, in providing for the, the needs for people who have legitimate human needs and we have the resources to do that, or just following the following God's law in everything. It's, it's, it's easy sometimes to say, well, nobody sees that, so I'm not going to do it. Or in private or in, in, in close circles to slip up a little bit and, uh, oh, to maybe, maybe you start cussing more or around certain friends, you, uh, you're inconsistent with your morality and the way you speak about the opposite sex or something like that. And it's those, those inconsistencies that might let somebody know, well, Christianity really hasn't taken root in this guy's life all that much. And even though he's nice overall and talks a good game, deep down, I see who he really is. But I can tell you, the people I know who live with integrity and seek justice in all things, especially in um, applying their, their faith to the way they view politics, the way they view everything from you know, charity to uh, to the marginalized and to every member and class of society. Those are the people who really speak to me of the power of the, of the gospel, that uh, those people are willing to expose themselves to really the, the ridicule of others for standing up for what is right and for doing what is right when they, even when they don't want to. That says to me, those people are living on another level and I want to live that way. So the next way to build trust is through practicing 
temperance. And this is a pretty easy one. Um, really, if people see us engaging in gluttony or excessive use and enjoyment of lots of different things, whether that's food, alcohol, money, it speaks again of this inconsistency of the gospel to penetrate and change our lives. So really what we're getting at here is allowing the gospel to change every aspect of our lives. And these are this list is really just kind of walking through a set of virtues that define who a Christian is and allow us to live like Jesus. So this one is just, okay, How is what's our relationship with uh, created goods, food, pleasure, that kind of stuff? Are we, are we moderate and temperate in our use of these things? And there's probably, again, some, some prudence here and some judgment. So, I mean, just something as simple as uh, people who have different lifestyles, people who exercise more or less, people who are larger or smaller can consume different amounts of food and probably different amounts of alcohol. So this is not to say that everybody has the same limit, although I tend to always just say, okay, what is the legal limit? I know I'm, I'm bound to obey the just laws of my country, so I'm going to try to act within that. Um, but asking ourselves, is my, is my relationship with this thing healthy? Does it help me experience God's love and goodness more? Or is it in some way distracting me from that? Have I made an idol of this thing rather than allowing it to point me to God? And uh, there's probably uh, the possibility of, of an unhealthy relationship with every type of created thing, not just food, not just alcohol. I mean, really, like money, collectibles, you think that, I mean, there's some people who just collect the, this or that knickknack or trinket or thing. And again, I'm not, I'm not knocking collections of any sort, but anything when it is done in excess says something about us that could lead people to say, that person doesn't really seem to take Christianity seriously. So the next one is courage. And I have a, a personal story with this. When I was in college, I was a Spanish major. And it's kind of a, a long story how I ended up there, but it uh, after a couple of years of just taking a variety of courses, that was the degree I was closest to and I needed to graduate. So I said, okay, let me stick this out. But I had a professor who had a very good relationship with, and I, I came to, to learn later uh, that we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. And uh, I, cr I have a lot of respect for him for not treating me differently, even though he thought that I, or he may have disagreed with me on some of those things. But I remember a conversation we had one time where he asked me, he's like, what did your parents do differently that, that you feel so comfortable speaking about your faith and speaking up in class? Because we would have debates. I'm mean, here, I'm having a debate in a foreign language and I'm really upholding the teachings of the church on a college campus, which is a kind of an adventurous position to be in. That's why, why I brought up the, the idea that this was in Spanish, because not only was I doing this in English, I was doing this in another language. So that made it even more nerve-wracking, you could, you could say, because I'm worried about making mistakes and I'm not as articulate and that kind of stuff. And I was really surprised when this professor asked me that, because I didn't think I was doing anything different or particularly heroic or even courageous, uh, but it stuck out with him. And I, I haven't forgotten that, obviously. And so I try to remind myself sometimes, am I willing to speak out enough now so that people will say there's something different about that person, that he's willing to be that bold? And maybe it doesn't make them change their mind immediately, but you never know when, when they will develop a sense of curiosity or openness later. So next one, second to last, is the idea of chaste love. Now, this may not be what you think, so let's turn to some church documents on this one. So the first is a quote from Familiaris Consortio. 
In the Christian view, chastity by no means signifies rejection of human sexuality or a lack of esteem for it. Rather, it signifies spiritual energy capable of defending love from the perils of selfishness and aggressiveness and able to advance it towards its full realization. So the, the line or the phrase that really grabs my attention there is rather it signifies spiritual energy capable of defending love from the perils of selfishness. So that's the first thing. Um, this kind of goes in line with the beatitude, blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see God. So this is allowing us to see and engage with all people, whether that's a spouse, a boyfriend, girlfriend, or just a neighbor in what we're able to see them as God sees them and love them as God loves them. So this next one is from the catechism paragraph 2346 under its influence. Chastity appears as a school of the gift of the person. Self mastery is ordered to the gift of self. Chastity leads him who practices it to become a witness to his neighbor of God's fidelity and loving kindness. And what these are, are getting at is when we are in right relationship with our neighbor, when we can unselfishly, purely, and chastely see and love our neighbor, it speaks to that person of God's goodness. We become the icon of God that we are supposed to be. And this gets to the, this idea of the nuptial meaning of the body, that this idea of self-gift is built into who we are, and that's what Jesus embodied and incarnated in his whole life. And when we love people chastely, especially outside of a spousal relationship, so when we're talking about just neighbors and, and friends, when we can engage in healthy relationships with these people, meaning not only do we not uh, show a sense of use of them, but we're free from that desire to use them. So whether that's a type of utilitarian friendship or you have a relationship with the opposite sex and there's something there where if you had the opportunity, that relationship would become romantic or would become sexualized. But in a, a really chaste relationship, that desire is, I don't want to say suppressed, but that desire is ordered properly. So in going back to, to the quote, is a, there's a spiritual energy capable of defending love from the perils of selfishness and aggressiveness. So if you think the opposite of selfishness, it's selflessness or the, the willingness to pour ourselves out, out for the other. And the lack of aggressiveness would be something like openness and docility or this, this very gentle spirit of I'm going to allow the mystery of who you are reveal itself to me. And I'm not going to be aggressive in forcing that out or demanding that. So that the kind of the secret of who you are is something that should just satisfy me and my desires. So and I think that one will speak to anybody that we have a relationship with about the depth of our love for them and how much the gospel has transformed us. This one, probably as much as anything, has the capacity to make us this really bright beacon of, of Christian love that will be a source of curiosity for others and help lead and attract them to the faith. And then finally, the, the importance of being compassionate and praying with people, especially those who are suffering. And this is a gift of our time. It's saying, I'm going to give you the thing which is most precious to me, my time. And you are more important to me than my time. So I will be here with you. I will suffer with you. I can wait in silence with you. I can wait in patience with you as your suffering works its way out and finds a voice and I'm here for you. And then also learning to pray with people. This can be very impromptu. Uh, this can be something that's a little bit more formal and premeditated, uh, but 
when whether people are suffering or whether it's something just like oh hey you know I'm, I'm great to see you I'm, you know I got a I got a long flight just stopping and praying with people for the Lord to come into their life and the Lord to keep them safe and the Lord to protect our family and the Lord to do good things for them when we leave conversations how awesome would it be if, if it was just our normal habit that we ended every conversation praying for the people we love and the people we're with that would begin to say something to them again all of these things say that what we believe has sunk deep into our hearts and we're living it. It's not a veneer on who we are and we really have this core that's much darker and, and, and mischievous, but rather the gospel has penetrated to the, the core of who we are and transformed us. So friends, those are the seven ways that you can help build trust with people so that your life becomes more attractive and you are a living gospel that makes people want to know who Jesus Christ is. They are poverty and simplicity, mercy and forgiveness, justice, temperance, courage, chaste love, and being compassionate and praying with others. Thank you so much for joining us and listening. Look forward to being back with you for the next one. In the meantime, if you haven't already subscribed, we would love it if you could do that and share this podcast with any of your friends that you think would enjoy this. If you haven't checked out our book, it is available on Kindle and print on Amazon. So you can check it out. Great read, especially if you are looking to build a ministry and find ways to help welcome people into the Catholic Church more. And then we wanted to give you a really, really fun update, and that is we have a newsletter now. So we decided to move on from Facebook and instead have a website with a newsletter so we can keep in touch with you through there. So you can check out beingandmakingdisciples.com and sign up for our newsletter and you will get some really cool stuff from us on a monthly basis. So we're not gonna flood your inbox, don't worry about it. So head on over there, hit subscribe to both the podcast and the newsletter and we look forward to being with you for the next podcast. So God bless you friends. Please be assured of our prayers for you for your health, for your holiness, for your peace, for your families, and for all of the good things that God has in store for you. Thank you.